Welcome everyone to New Spring Church. We're so glad that you're here. Why don't you stand and join with us as we sing.
Thank you so much for the one and only son, Lord, that you gave to die for our sin, Lord. Lord, we just pray that you be with us today, Lord, that you may just touch our hearts, Lord, and that you may remind us today that no matter what we're going through, Lord, no matter what we're facing, no matter what guilt we may be harboring, Lord, that we can always just turn to you, Lord that we can always just turn back to you, Lord, and give it up to you, Lord, and you are there waiting for us with arms wide open, Lord. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for that. Hosanna, Lord. I pray this in your awesome and precious name, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. You guys may be seated. Well, good morning and welcome to New Spring Church. This is the last week in Divine Whispers, and we're so glad that you're here with us. As a matter of fact, if you're here with us for the very first time, uh, we'd like to let you know how awesome it is that you're with us. And if you would, wouldn't mind, if you'll take that worship guide that you got when you came in and open it up, it becomes a Talk to Us card, and then you can tell us a little bit about yourself in there, and then you can take that Talk to Us card after the service is over to the foyer to guest services, or also there's guest services back by the coffee shop, and we have a free gift that we want to give you to say thank you for being here with us today. Also, I really quickly want to mention the fact that um, this is the last week in Divine Whispers. Next weekend, we've got a special kind of July 4th thing going on uh, during the weekend. And then after that, we start a brand new series called Lost in Love. And uh, you'll notice out in the foyer, we've got these mini invites. They look a lot different than what you're used to seeing because these are actually postcards. You can use it as a postcard and mail it to somebody or you can just give it to them. But this is going to be a great series. We're talking about love relationships in general. So this is not just about romantic relationships. We're talking about um, how sometimes it's we can get lost in any kind of love relationship. And we'll be talking about that. So that'll be coming up in just a couple weeks. Uh, those who are prepared to take the morning offering, if you want to go ahead and come forward and do that at this time, and then check out the, what's going on at New Spring on the screens. In just a minute, we'll be hearing a message from God's Word. Please silence your cell phones or any other electronic devices. If you have a child in the room that might cause a disturbance or you need to have a conversation with someone, please step out to our overflow area located next to the coffee shop so others can concentrate on the message without any disturbance. If you're new to New Spring or just ready to get a little more involved, we have a reception called Discovery that's just for you. Find out what ministries and environments we have to offer for you and your family. Learn ways you can volunteer, plus meet Mark and ask questions. Sign up for our June 29th or 30th session at newspring.org discovery. College-aged adults, listen up. This month's prime gathering is called Health and Happiness Prime. 
where we find out the true secrets to emotional happiness. It's coming up Sunday, June 30th at 7 p.m. So make sure you go to liveyourprime.org for all the details. Looking for a way to energize your marriage? Attend the Vows Conference at New Spring Church, led by our couple's pastor, Jonathan Hoover, and special guest, Donnie Van Curen. This two-day conference is July 19th and 20th, so pick up your tickets today at the New Spring store or online at vowsconference.com. It's the end of the week. Family's bored. Nothing but reruns on TV and you've got nothing fun to do on a Friday night? Don't worry, help is on the way! Kids World wants to invite you to Star Spangled FX, a free night of patriotic family fun. With hilarious comedy, awesome games, and exciting giveaways, a Star Spangled FX is FX like you've never seen it before and promises to be fun for the whole family. On June 28th at 7 p.m. in the main auditorium, family fun, absolutely free. Well, good morning, everybody. Hey, you're going to love Lost in Love. If you were here for Summer of Love last year, you understand this is going to be a great series. So can't wait for that one to get started. Uh, Divine Whispers, of course, this is uh, coming to an end today. and This is the last of four. In case you might be here for the first time, let me share how quirky this series is. This is the most unusual series I've done in 36 years. I'm sharing with you four occasions in my life where God spoke to me. And I'm always quick to point out, he didn't speak audibly. He didn't write it in the sky. And clearly, there have been hundreds, if not thousands of times, I've felt God's impulse in my life to go one direction or another. And as I've shared with you, 99% of what God wants you to know plus is in this book. So God has spoken to me constantly in my life. But there have been four moments in my life, key moments, where God's message was so real and clear word for word in my life that even if he had spoken it audibly, it would have been inferior in its effect. I've shared with you several aspects of when God speaks so that you will recognize God's voice when God speaks to you. First of all, my destiny was at stake, and the reason why I'm sharing it with you is since for the last 28 years we've had a shared destiny. It's not only been my destiny, but New Spring's destiny. So my destiny was at stake, and number two, I was thinking wrong. This is one reason I'm going to be glad for this series to be over. If you'll notice, I haven't said in a while this is the greatest series I've ever been part of. And the reason for that is, is each week I have to tell something horrifically embarrassing about myself. And so I'm very glad that next weekend we're going to be on something different. But very clearly, with destiny at stake, I was thinking wrong. Now, that's a very bad combination. And, and honestly, isn't it true, if we ever needed God to speak to us, it's when destiny's at stake and our thinking is wrong. I've told you time and time again that my thinking would have been considered right according to conventional wisdom. But my thinking was wrong in God's way. And so God, in order for me to fulfill destiny, God pushed me back against my thinking, confronted me. I shared with you the fourth aspect of it is that it's comforting. And then the fifth is always consistent with God's word. God will never tell you to do anything that's inconsistent with the preponderance of Scripture. 
Well, I want to be clear on something today on this final day of the series, just in case maybe I've left a misunderstanding. No one's indicated this, but I just want to make sure that I don't leave you with something that that feels true but isn't true. When I talk about my destiny, I'm not talking about ownership. I'm not talking about my destiny in the sense of ownership. When I talk about your destiny, I'm not talking about destiny that, that you own. Our culture today is in love with dream your dreams and follow your dreams and all that. And I guess there's an aspect to which that's, that's true. But, but here's the deal. If you're a Christ follower, your destiny isn't your dream and your destiny. Your destiny is God's destiny for you. It's yours in the sense of identity. But it's God's dreams and God's destiny for you. In Jeremiah 29, 11, this verse that we love so much, God said, I know the plans I have for you. See, I was thinking about this this week, and I did a whole series on that that verse, I don't know how I missed this. I got to think about the fact that most of my prayers are the reverse of Jeremiah 29, 11. I'm praying, God, I know the plans I have for you. And I'd just like for you to rubber stamp them, please. <laughs> isn't, it, isn't it? I mean, it's like, God, I know the plans I have for you. And God is up in heaven saying, no, Mark, you don't understand. I know the plans that I have for you. Each week, I've told you about how my wrong thinking jeopardized destiny. And what was going on was my thinking was jeopardizing God's best in my life. Now, already, some of you are struggling just a little bit with this message, and it goes back to when I said it's, your, it's not your dreams for you, for you, it's God's dreams for you, and some of you are saying, well, I'm not sure how comfortable that I am with, with my living my life according to God's plan. Well, maybe there's a verse, a scripture that you ought to take into consideration before you check out on God's plan for your life, because const- very, in, in the sense of, of being full, fully, you know, full disclosure here, you can live your life according to your plan to the extent that you can pull it off. So I want you to know, you don't have to follow God's plan for your life. But before you make that choice, let me read to you a very important scripture. I've quoted it to you each week, but on this last weekend of Divine Whispers, I want you to see everything and fully embrace its, its rich meaning. In Isaiah 55, God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Now, God isn't just talking about the little cogitations that flit through his mind, the cogitations that flit through our mind. God's not saying, I'm not thinking about stuff you're thinking about. That, that is, there's a very rich Hebrew word, there's full meaning there that we need to get. God is saying, the way I put things together is not the way you put things together. Now, here's the thing. Like James Taylor said in his song, you know, life a lot of times is left in pieces on the ground. And so a lot of times we try to assemble those pieces in some sort of plan. And we think that God assembles the pieces. And, and so God is saying, look, the way, I, the way I put stuff together, the way I put sequences together, because all of us have stuff in our life. There's people, there are events, there are places, there are jobs, there are negative things, there's, there's sad events that happen in our lives. God is saying, look, I don't assemble the pieces the way you assemble the pieces. My, the way I assemble things isn't the way you assemble things. And then he says... Neither are your ways, read that, plans, that's what the Hebrew word means. Neither are your plans, my plans, declares the Lord. Now, all of us here who who either work in some form of assembly at work or have some sort of hobby or craft that we engage ourselves in, we understand the distinction between a plan and the way we follow that plan. We know the difference between a schematic and the way we assemble the pieces. And so that's all God's talking about. God is saying, look, I know you have a plan for your life, and there's a way you assemble things. There's a way you put things together. God is just saying, I want you to know. Why is this important? Time out. Why is this important? Because many of us are angry at God. Because here's the deal. We figured that God's way of of assembling things is the same way as our way of assembling things. It's just a juiced up version. Right? 
I mean, after all, we, we just assumed God would put stuff together the way we put stuff together. Only difference is God didn't have any limitations. God didn't have any problems. So when we, when we think about how God would put stuff together, we figure it's just a juiced up version of our, our, the way we would do things. And, and our, our plan is a good plan, so clearly God's plan must be a juiced up version of our plan. And then when God doesn't do things the way we would and we can't make sense of it all, we throw it down and we say, well, it doesn't work. And God has been straight up honest with us from the very beginning because he said, the way I assemble things isn't the way you assemble things, and, and my plan isn't the way you would plan things. And he went on to say how much better his plan is. He said, as the heaven is higher than the earth, so much better is my plan than your plan, and so much better is the way I assemble things than the way you assemble things. Now, I don't know how far heaven is above earth. No, the sun's 93 million miles away. That's pretty far. But let's just take that, for instance. I mean, just if God had said as high as the sun is above the earth, that's how much better my plan is than your plan in the way I assemble things and the way you assemble things. And that's a challenge for me. See, that's why my thinking was wrong. My thinking was God's plan is just a juiced-up version of my plan. God's way of doing things is just a juiced-up version of my way of doing things. And I'm thinking wrong, and I'm running headlong into destiny, and then God had to stop me and push me back. Guys, I want to tell you, this is not in my sermon. I, was, you know, I haven't even got started yet. This is just an introduction. It always makes me nervous when a minister says that. But I want to tell you something really, really important. This is where, I know a lot of you drive, some of you drive 100 miles one way to get here. This is worth your drive. My thinking will never lead me to God's plan. It doesn't matter how hard, how smart I get. It doesn't matter how many postgraduate degrees I get. It doesn't matter how, what wealth of experience I have in my experiential warehouse. My thinking will never lead me to God's plan. And your thinking will never lead you to God's plan. You can drive yourself crazy, and your thinking will never lead you to God's plan. Pride says it will. But my thinking will never lead me to God's plan. I mean, I don't have time to express this, but those of you who know, you know the Bible, you know the story of Joseph in the Old Testament, think about this for a moment. Just, just consider God's plan and the way he put things together. What was Joseph's brothers and his dad's plan? They were shepherds. Their plan for their life was find green grass for their cattle. That was their plan. That was their mission statement. Find green grass for cattle. What was God's plan for their life? Get them to Egypt so they could proliferate and be, be blessed for 400 years and become a mighty nation. God's plan was much higher than Jacob's plan was for his family. Would you have chosen the way of putting things together the, the way God did? God utilized. Remember this. God is not behind wrongdoing, but God will utilize wrongdoing to put the pieces together. I mean, there are 10 brothers who hate Joseph. God used that. They sell him as a slave. Where do they sell him as a slave to? Egypt. Winds up in the house of a rich guy. Guy's wife lies and says he tried to rape her. Joseph goes to jail. That doesn't seem like a smart way of putting the pieces together. Several years later, he interprets a dream and winds up by the age of 30, the most powerful man in the world. We all look back on that and say, ingenious plan, wonderful way of putting things together. But how many of us would have thought that in the moment when Joseph was in prison? See, God's way of putting things together is not our way, and his plans are not our plans. And guys, I'm not trying to do a commercial here, but this is why you need to hear from God. You know, this is the information age. I've never seen more information and people more fuzzy than we are today. You would think with all the information we have, we'd be clear. We'd have clarity on all important issues. And yet I discovered that when I look around and even when I look inside my own heart, we know so much. And yet what does it lead to? 
we need to understand today that it's so important for us to hear God's word, whether it's reading the scriptures every day or what you're doing and listening to a talk from God's word or your kids being in the, you know, in kids' world or the wire or the hub. I mean, all of us need every opportunity to get God's word into our lives because God says this about his word. I send it out, he said. It will accomplish all I want it to. It will prosper everywhere I send it. How many of you could use some prospering today in your relationships? You know, some, some of you are married. You're saying, man, I could stand for my marriage to prosper. How many of you could stand for your career to prosper? How many of you could stand for your health to prosper? How many of you could stand for your emotional health to prosper? Well, then you need to get God's word in you because God says my word will prosper anywhere it goes. And so that's what this whole series is about. And I'm sharing with you how that my thinking was going the wrong direction and, and God, God spoke to me and, and corrected me. And in these first three weeks, I've shared with you how that comfortable can be the enemy of destiny, and then week two, how emotions can be the enemy of destiny. And last week, I shared with you in a very painful sermon how that my pride nearly wrecked us at a moment of greatest opportunity, how that when we were going through the transition, uh, I, I was thinking about how to handle it instead of seeking God's will, and God said, say nothing during that time. So I've shared with you what the first three things that can be the enemy of destiny. Today, I want to talk to you about guilt. Because guilt can be the enemy of destiny. Now, some of you know that already, don't you? You didn't need to come here today to get that. But I just want you to know that guilt can be the enemy of destiny. Now, what is the problem with guilt? The problem with guilt is we're guilty. That is the problem. So that's not a question. The question is, what do we do with our guilt? For some of us, the answer comes back, punish ourselves. And there is a feeling that if we can punish ourselves enough, perhaps God will look down upon us with sympathy and say, well, I think she's just punished herself all her life for that, so I guess I'm going to let it go now. For others of us who grew up in church, and especially in a, you know, for those of us who grew up in a, in a church that was very strong in, in, in preaching about the law, there is a sense that, well, when someday when God, when I stand before God, he's going to judge me for all the things that I've done wrong, so I'm just going to kick the can down the road and hope that I live as long as possible. If you're a 21st century American, you've decided perhaps that the thing to do with guilt is just to deny it and just pretend that it doesn't matter because who knows, maybe what I did really wasn't wrong. Who decides what's wrong and what's right? After all, as long as I'm just generally politically correct, maybe that's enough. And, and so after all, you know, perhaps it's just, you know, don't even think about it. My guess is if you're trying that, you're discovering that trying to, trying to deny your guilt's like an ant trying to submerge a beach ball in the ocean. Well, I want to tell you a story, and this happened, and I'm not going to take a long time telling it because I've told it several times. It's the most recent of the events that I've shared with you in this series, and because of that, I've shared it with you in the full version. If you want to check it out, it's in the first week of intensive care. Also, I shared it in valleys. So because of that, I'm going to tell it quickly today. But the darkest time in my life was in December of 2010, January of that year. If you were here last week, I shared how that New Spring Church went through a transition in 2000, beginning in 2004, and it was a very difficult time, and I'd had years of, we'd grown, but we'd also had always some kind of thing to deal with, either a challenge or a problem to overcome, and I, could, I think by the grace of God, I could write a book about all the things that God can lead a great church through, 
And so many times it was precarious. In fact, I share with our executive pastor, Billy Poor, sometimes how that there were moments when it was so precarious, I felt as though we were hanging by our fingernails. And I even hate to look back on those moments because they're so scary, even though I know God brought us out. But in 2004, if you were here last week, I shared how, how that we went through a transition to become a different kind of church, from becoming an internally focused church where this was sort of a religious social club to an externally focused church that built bridges to people who are spiritually unresolved. And how painful that was and how that there were four years of transition. And how that in those days when we started, we were averaging about 1,200 in attendance on a weekend, but we lost about 800 of those over four years in four sequences of transition. Some, of course, to moving away, but others because they were unhappy. And, but the irony is all during that time, we never dropped below 1,200 in attendance because people were coming in as people were walking out. And it was a painful experience. And I shared with you many times during those transitions, I would go to bed at night and I would say, dear God, if you don't let me wake up in the morning, I'll count it a personal favor. And I did. I prayed that many times. But by the time we got through fully transitioning at the end of 2007 and 2004, it was about philosophy of ministry. 2005, it was about worship style. 2006, it was about kids' ministry. 2007, we changed the name. So series, you know, issue after issue and all the, the damage that happens with those kinds of, kinds of moves that were strategic and right for us. Once all those things happened, then God began to bless. And, and what happened in this place is almost historical, definitely historical by Wichita, by Kansas terms, but almost historical. If you look at the rate of growth, the percentage of growth at New Spring, it's almost something that is st stand out on a national level. We grew from 1,200 to 2,000 to 3,000 to 4,000 to 5,000, now nearly 6,000 on a weekend, even in the summer. And by 2010, you have to understand something. Really, on paper, everything that was going on in my life was great. I'm fully aware that any success that this church has is God's success and not mine. But on a human level, I hope you'll understand that for several years, it had been like anything that we had touched worked. It was like anything we went after, God blessed. But I think God had some unfinished business with your pastor. I've lived my life, and I've never told you, never, never made this secret. I've lived my life with my greatest issue being anxiety. My anxieties are something that I battle every day of my life. And I think that even though things were going well, I was still going through some challenges. We were staffing in those days, and I would get exhausted. I'd work a full day, and I'd go home, and I'd read resumes and watch videos and, until late in the night and think about staffing. And during this time, I was exhausted, and I think there were also some things. There was some, some cooling spiritually that happened. See, here's the thing. Some of you are very close to God right now, but if you're not careful, you will drift. And you won't necessarily drift doing really bad things. You may drift just doing stuff. There's an old hymn that we sang many years ago, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, and there's a lyric in there that I think about often. It says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the Lord I love. And in the busyness of my job, I think I was drifting away from the closeness that I need to have with God. And I remember it was October of 2010, I was speaking <clears throat> At a, at a local ministry, and when I finished speaking, it was a morning message, I, I went to sit down, and all of a sudden, I began to have symptoms like I'd never had before, very frightening symptoms. And as I've shared with you, I deal with anxiety, so anything goes wrong with me, I can extrapolate it to, you know, this is, this is terrible. I mean, I've, I'm, I'm not, I don't know anything about medicine, but I've visited hospitals for 36 years. I just know enough to be dangerous. 
And so I begin to think, wow, something is really wrong with me. And then other symptoms begin to come along, and I was feeling worse and worse. And I was like a battery-operated device, and I could just feel my energy draining and dropping over the next weeks. And I remember how that everybody in my life was really frightened because I'm a pretty verbal person. And people who've known me, Mary Alice has known me since high school. She'd never seen me like that. I just quit talking. I just shut down. I kept working. I, I kept a full schedule. I just became very internal. But I, I began to think, what if this is my time to go? And I'm a believer, and I know heaven lies ahead, but something began to, to come to me. You guys understand, I, I must give two accounts to God. I have to give an account for my own life, and I have to give an account for New Spring Church. And all of a sudden, I begin to think about all the decisions I've made through the years and, and all the mistakes, just strategic mistakes that I've made and personal failings that I've had through the years. And, and, and then I begin to think about this. How do I stand before God? And when I begin to pray and, and ask God where I was with him, God revealed, Mark, we got a couple issues here, and they're huge. What is it that God wants from you more than anything else? The Old Testament says it. Jesus said it. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. And in that time of reflection about where I stood before God, even with the idea that perhaps I was ill and might be close, God shared with me this. He said, Mark, you don't love me the way you should. And, and although you are always thinking about the people, you don't love them the way you should. Somewhere along the line, you started doing what you do because you're responsible to do it, not out of love for me. How many of you wives or husbands know what that means? There was a point when there was a warm, loving relationship and cards and flowers and gifts and sweet things happened spontaneously, but now they sort of happen in a, in a responsible way. It's my responsibility to do this. And, and you know how that makes you feel. And I think God was saying to me, look, Mark, you're on paper, you're doing a lot of things, but you don't love me like you should. And what terrified me in that moment, and I can't even begin to tell you the terror I felt, I can't even begin to describe it. It was like I'd never, nothing I'd ever gone through, and you'd have to know just how much jeopardy I've been in to know what that statement means. It was such an awful feeling. I remember one night in December, I was lying, I have a closet in my basement, it's the size of a small bedroom. It's a cedar closet, and there's carpet on the floor. And I, I was praying, but I wasn't kneeling. I was lying on my face. In fact, I can still feel the fibers of the carpet in my face as I was crying out to God, and I was so at the end of my rope and so trying to figure out where I was with God. I said for some reason, God, I am not getting off my face until I hear from you. I am staying here until I hear from you. And I'm ADHD enough to think at the same time, I wonder how long I'm going to stay here. But I was serious, and thankfully, just that fast, God spoke to me with the fourth thing he said to me. And I know it was God because it was so far away. It was 180 degrees away from the kind of stuff I was thinking about. See, you have to understand, when I'm telling God, God, oh, I need to hear from you. I know I'm in trouble. I know I'm wrong. I so desperately want to go back and get it right. And I'm expecting God to say, okay, Mark, if you want to talk, let's talk. You've done this wrong, this wrong, this wrong, this wrong, this wrong. <laughs> I want to hear from God. What's my grade? Is it a C minus? Is it a D? Is it an F? Have I failed? Am I out of the game? I'm expecting, and please, here's, here's something you need to understand. It is one thing to know about grace. It's something else to feel grace. How many of us, we know grace is true, but we still have a hard time feeling it. And I hope you understand that when I say this, because I would have told anybody else the same thing God told me that night. I just wasn't hearing it. I was expecting God to give me a bill for everything I had done wrong. 
all of a sudden, I felt the voice of God say three words. Turn to me. Turn to me. What was going on in my life? And I, and I talked to some of you who studied the Bible quite a bit. What was going on in my life? Listen to me. In all of our lives, there will be a moment when the machinery shuts down and we will be forced to look at ourselves as who we really are. And in that moment, we will see God for who he really is and the gap will terrify us. It may be after you've gotten a diagnosis from a doctor. It may be after a relationship is broken up. It might be just something that happens in your life. But one of the most important things God can ever let you go through is a moment where you see yourself for who you really are and God who he really is. See, I think I shared with you that one of the problems that we have with hearing from God is that we're so noisy. And some of that noise is just noise that we create. It's the noise of life. And as long as life is noisy and life is busy, we can sort of make assumptions about God. But when you come to this moment where it's you and God, it will be terrifying because you will see at that moment just how great God is and how perfect he is. And then stuff, and when you get into God's presence, stuff that you didn't think was so bad. See, here's the thing. When I tell you my problem is I didn't love God like I should and didn't love people like I should, some of you out there are going, well, that doesn't sound that bad to me. I mean, it doesn't sound like that would make the eagle in the scandal page. Oh, I promise you, when you get into the presence of God and you see God and you see yourself, there was a preacher in the Bible who went through the same experience. He'd been a prophet for several years. He was in the court of King Uzziah, who was a good king of Judah. And I'm guessing that Isaiah looked at Uzziah sort of being the solution, but then Uzziah died, and one day Isaiah was praying. And here's what he said. In the year that Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was sitting, and listen to his language about God. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were the mighty seraphim, that's angels, each having six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. With, with two, they flew. They were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. And I said, wow, is that cool? I mean, that's how some of us think we would react if we saw God on his throne. Wow, that's cool. That isn't what Isaiah said. You got to understand, this is a prophet. This is a God called prophet. This is a guy who is a legend. I mean, you got a book in your Bible with 66 chapters that bear his name. Some people call Isaiah the fifth gospel. It's an ex he's an extraordinary person. But look at what he said. It's all over. I'm doomed. I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips. And I live among people with filthy lips. Why does God bring us to moments like he brought your pastor to? Well, he does it, first of all, because there's stuff that's wrong in our lives. And I can hear somebody saying, well, Mark, this is just the reason I don't go to church, because I don't want to hear this. I don't want to hear that there's anything that's wrong in my life. Well, I get it. I'm not crazy about it myself, and I'm sure not crazy about talking about it. But you, you need to understand, here, here's the accountability that I have. In Ezekiel, there were, there were preachers that were just preaching. They were saying, whatever you want to do is okay. And God said to them, because you've confounded and confused good people, unsuspecting and innocent people with your lies, and because 
you've made it easy for people to persist in evil so that it wouldn't even dawn on them to turn to me so I could save them. As of now, you're fired. You're finished. Do you understand that? If I just blow sunshine at you and make it easy for you to just keep doing things that are self-destructive, then God is going to hold me accountable. See, here's the thing. We need to confront stuff that is wrong in our lives. And notice something about this. The second reason why God brings us to this moment, what, what did God say to these preachers? He said, you don't tell them the truth so it would never dawn on them to pay for all the things they've done wrong. Is that what he said? No. He said it would never dawn on them to turn to me. To turn to me. In Hosea, the Bible tells us that every once in a while, God allows negative circumstances to come into our life to get our attention. And that's what happened in my life. He said, I will return to my place until they admit their guilt and turn to me. For as soon as trouble comes, they will earnestly search for me. He could just go ahead and put my name in there. When trouble comes, Mark will earnestly search for me. But what does God want? He said, well, Mark, I saw that in there, guilt. But what does God want you to do with your guilt? He wants you to admit it. Do you think God wants to punish you? Do you think God wants to bring pain into your life? I mean, how many of you are parents? Let me ask you a question. For all of you who are parents, do you enjoy disciplining your kids? You think, wow, my kid did something wrong. I told him not to do this, and he did it. Oh, I get to discipline him. Some of you kids may think your parents think that way. No. What is it that we want for our kids when they do wrong? We want them to get it. Did you hear that? That's what God wants you to do. He wants you to get it. He wanted me to get it. He didn't want to punish me for not having love for people. He wanted me to get it. He didn't want to punish me for not having love for him. He wanted me to get it. But how can I get it until I admit it? But admit it to him. Admit it to him. And this is the answer for all of us. Because the thing about turning to God is if you've never had a relationship with God, it's the way that you become a member of God's family is by turning to Christ. It isn't by joining a church. It's not by trying to do better. It's by turning to Christ. Or if you're a Christ follower for years and things are not right in your life and you're dealing with guilt, the thing to do is to turn to him. Now I want to close and give you three thoughts and we'll go home. What are the three reasons every one of us should turn to God and specifically turn to Jesus right now? Here's the first one, because he wants you to. He wants you to. Let me ask you a question. All of us have done things wrong. Have you ever done some things so wrong in a relationship that the person you're in the relationship with said, I don't want to see you again? Maybe you're in a love relationship, and you screwed up so bad, the person just says, I don't ever want to see you again. Just get out of my life. Get out of my life. Or maybe you have parents that just were so tired of the foolishness or things that you were engaged in that they just said, get out of the house, leave the house. We don't want you back here anymore. Leave the house. Honestly, even though I knew God's grace was there, I had a sense that I had so failed God that that perhaps is what he was trying to say to me. Just, just get out of my presence. But Don't you find it exciting to know that God doesn't want you to turn away from him. The Bible says, the Lord says, turn to me now while there's still time. Give me your hearts. Turn to me now. God is inviting you to turn to him. If you, you say, well, Mark, I've never believed in God. I've, I've, never, I've never really thought seriously about this. God wants you to turn to him now. 
You say, Mark, I'm an agnostic. Does he want me to turn? Yes. You say, Mark, I've been religious. Does God want me to turn? Yes. God says, turn to me now. Whatever your issues are, whatever your guilt is, God says, turn to me now. By the way, he never says, turn to me tomorrow or turn to me in six weeks. I could be talking to somebody here and you're in a toxic relationship and you know it's not good and you're saying, but this isn't a good time for me to deal with that. I'll deal with this in six weeks. God never says, turn to me in six weeks. Turn to me now. And then he says, give me your heart. What does he mean by give me your heart? Obviously, he's not talking about the pump in our chest. Well, God is saying, what does God want from you? What does it mean to turn to God? God is saying, give me your attention. I need to admit something else while I'm admitting stupid stuff that I do. I have figured out over the years of marriage how to listen to Mary Alice and nod and smile and act engaged. <laughs> but Mary Alice is very, very, very smart. And she will say to me sometimes, do I have your attention? <laughs> Friend, do you understand that's what God is asking you? Do I have your attention? Put down your iPad. Put down your iPhone. Turn off the television. Clean out the sound that's coming all through your spirit. And God is saying, do I have your attention? This isn't something to whip out while you're running down to Dylan's. Do I have your attention? First reason you should turn to Jesus is he wants you to. The second reason, now I want to talk to all of us who have been in religion, because this is going to be so important for us in the next few minutes. It's all you can do anyway. It's all you can do. I want you to think about the things, and not, a, not necessarily in length, but I want you to think about the things that you're guilty of. What are you going to do with that? Can you undo them? There are things in my life that I look back on with such shame, and I would love to go back and turn back the clock to that moment and not do that thing. Or I would like to turn back the clock and do what I should. But how many of us have discovered that the calendar only has one gear and it's forward? Can you undo what you've done wrong? Can you pay for it? Do you know what it would take to pay for just one sin? Eternity in hell. Can you suffer and make it go away? If you could suffer for what you've done wrong, if you could suffer enough, if you could inflict pain on yourself for what you've done wrong, if you could do it for some of you, by now you should be right. Because you have suffered for what you've done for day after day and month after month and year after year. If suffering would make it right, if hurting yourself would make it right, you should be there now. See, what I'm trying to tell you is there is nothing else that you can do with your guilt. There is no human remedy for guilt. That's why religion fails. That's why psychology, as fine as it is, comes up short. My guilt is a fact. Your guilt is a fact. There is no human cure. That is why God, from the beginning of this book to the end of this book, has had to say to us that he has made a way. Now, you're not going to be able to think your way to God's plan. It's something you're going to have to hear from him because it isn't the way we would put things together, and it's not the plan that we would have. But since we don't have any plan for our guilt, maybe we should hear his. We start seeing glimmers of it in the Old Testament. One such occasion was when Moses was in the wilderness, and the people had complained against God. And God sent 
poisonous snakes, that would get my attention. There are two kinds of snakes. There are those that will hurt you and those that will make you hurt yourself. And these snakes were the kind that hurt you. And the people were dying and the people cried out to Moses and said, we've done wrong. And God had Moses do the most interesting thing. He said, make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to the pole. It's still a symbol for medicine. He said, take a poison. That, that doesn't sound smart. That's not like a good plan. I mean, you, you, everybody knows what you should do. If you get snake bit, you should cut across and suck the venom out. But God is saying, no, make, make, make a, a pole and put a snake on it. And anyone who looks in faith will be cured. Jesus came along in John 3 and talking to one of the most brilliant theologians of his day, he summoned up this old story to explain how you and I get rid of our guilt. Jesus said, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Jesus said, just like that snake was held up on a pole, Jesus said, I have to be lifted up. Why? Because when Jesus was on the cross, this is one of the greatest verses of your Bible. Please hold this verse close. The Bible says God has made him who had no sin. That's Jesus. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. See, we often say Jesus carried our sin, but it was even deeper than that. The way God looked at it, God made Jesus be sin so that he could allow his son to be punished in our place. Let's read it one more time. God made him who had no sin for us to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God and then in him. Let me read the whole verse that Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes or looks to him may have eternal life. Do you understand that believing in Jesus is turning to him? It is turning away from all our hopes and turning away from all our attempts to deal with our guilt and turning to him. In Isaiah 45, 22, the Bible just says, look unto me and be saved. Look unto me and be saved. And that is what God wants from you. It is the only thing that you can do. As I close today, there are three reasons why you should look to Jesus. Number one, he wants you to. Number two, it's all you can do. And here's my favorite. It's enough. It's enough. A few moments ago, I quoted Isaiah 45, 22. The whole verse says, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. And then this expression, For I am God. Now, what does it mean to look to Jesus or to turn to Jesus? Let me give you a quick illustration. A lot of people have been upside down in their mortgages since the problems of 2007. And especially around that time, money was hard to get. Let's say, God forbid, that you're upside down in your mortgage and you don't have the money to pay your mortgage. And you've waited all the months, and time now has come for you to be dispossessed of your home. And you're going to be, you're going to be taken away out. You're going to be taken out of your home. You're on the street. No place to go. And you've tried everything. You've been to all the lenders, and nobody will lend you any money. You've talked to your friends and family, and nobody will lend you anything. And you're now coming to the last day before they're going to come to dispossess you of your home. And you're in such distress about this that you go for a walk. And as you're walking through the streets, you come across someone that you knew many years ago in childhood, and this person is glad to see you, and he or she says to you, oh, you look so sad. What's the problem? And you're saying, well, we're, we're about to be kicked out of our home. We're, we can't pay our mortgage payment. And your friend says, well, have you, have you gone to the lenders? Yeah, but nobody's loaning any money right now. And, and, and your friend says, so that means you're, you're going to be on the streets? And, and yeah, I'm going to be on the streets. And your friend says, well, just a moment. You know God has been very good to me. And I've been very blessed in my business, and I've made millions of dollars. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm just going to ask you to trust me. I'll, I'll go down and make the payment. You just need to look to me. 
Now, do you understand that expression now? I want you just to look to me. It means to put all your confidence in. It means for you to go home and know that you're going to stay in your house. And what God is saying to you today is to take all the guilt that you have. You can't pay for it. You can't punish yourself for it. But God wants you to bring your guilt by faith to the cross of Jesus Christ and to lay it down and to roll it on him and to look to Jesus, to look to Jesus. We, we, we screw things up so much in religion. We point people to buildings and churches and to systems. And, and I don't mean we do it here at New Spring, but I want to tell you something. There isn't a church that can take your guilt away from you. We try to tell people to learn these rules and learn this system, but there is no system that can take your guilt away from you. We tell, some places tell people you need to perform penance, acts of penance. And through the years, people have even crawled on their knees on broken glass to try to do something with their guilt. None of those things are what the Bible says. The Bible says, look to Jesus. Roll it all on Jesus. He can take your guilt. His blood that came out of his body was a currency that paid for your sin and your guilt. Take your guilt to him and leave it there and walk away and live the life that you were destined to live. And then even... And even as a God follower, when you're like me and you've wandered away from everything that God wanted you to, even though you're still in that wonderful relationship the first time you looked to him, come back and look at him again and take all the failures of your life and leave them back there at the cross and go on and live the life that God has destined you to live. Oh, that isn't the plan we would pick. (laughs) But he wants you to look, and you can't do anything else, and it's enough. It's enough. Would you pray with me? If you're here today and you say, Mark, I've tried religion. I'm not even sure I'm religious. Some of you may say, Mark, I'm struggling with just belief in God. You can look. You don't have to be a genius to look. You don't have to be rich to look. You don't have to be religious to look. You don't have to be good to look. Anybody can look at Jesus. And look to him. If you'd like to have a relationship with him, I'm going to pray a prayer. And, and trust me, it isn't the mat. This, this is no formula that you're saying. It's, it's meaning these words. That's why I'm going to pray it real slow. I want you to be able to wrap your spirit around these words. And you know, you know what I mean by that? Just to make sure it's really what you want. So I'm going to pray this slow. But if you believe it and you want to reach out to Jesus and look to him today, then you pray with me, please. Dear God, I am a sinner. I'm broken. I realize I can't fix myself. But I believe Jesus died for my sin. I believe his blood was a currency that pays for my guilt and shame. I look to him. By that I mean I roll everything on him. By that I mean I trust him. I leave my sin with Jesus. I leave my guilt there. Give me the power to live a new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, if you just pray with me, please don't leave this campus without receiving a gift. All you got to do is bring your talk to us card and you can just say, I pray with Mark. Go back to guest services in the lobby. There's another one back by the coffee shop. There's a DVD, and then there's a book I wrote during that season I just told you about, and a coupon for a new Bible, and we want to give it to you. It's free. If you just prayed, would you please come get that? Thank you very much. God bless. We'll see you July 4th weekend.